Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everybody, into the Big Ten Show. I am your host, Adam character. We got a lot to talk about today. We're talking about Caitlin Clark, the probably the greatest college women's basketball player of all time. There's other cases to be made. Most of those women wore the UConn jersey. A couple of them wore the Baylor jersey. Okay, things of that nature. When you look at just the straight basketball credentials, but I want to talk about Caitlin Clark just a little bit to top off the show or to start off the show. Then we're going to get into my way too early. Big 10 football power rankings, my top 10 teams, and a couple of honorable mentions as well, and why they weren't just quite put in the top 10, and then some teams that just got a long freaking ways to go before we start football up in September. But I'm going to get my top 10 way too early Big 10 preseason power rankings. That was a mouthful. Also, the NFL draft, not too far away. I'm going to give my top 10 Big 10 players as it stands right now, Okay, post-senior bowl, pre-combine, heading in to the NFL draft, which is only a couple of months away, ladies and gentlemen. But before we dive into this, light that candle. Make sure you see what our friends at the Jacobson Seed Company are all about. They are your healthy hybrid advantage. Farmers, thanks for watching the Big Ten show, but we can give you more than great Big Ten coverage. We can help you with your fields. Go to jacobsonseed.com. Jacobson Seed, your healthy Hybrid advantage that is jacobsonseed.com. All right, let's start right off the top with Caitlin Clark. Most of you know, breaks the women's all-time scoring record in a game where she dropped 49 points, 13 assists. I think sometimes people forget she's the first ever collegiate basketball player, women's basketball player, to reach 3,000 points and get 1,000 assists. Okay, she's an all-around, well-rounded player, not just a scorer, not just a shooter, not a ball hog, things of that nature. She can shoot it, she can dish it, she can do all these sorts of things. Now, you look at where she is just in the all-time scoring rankings, regardless of men, women, etc. the odds are she's going to break that all-time NCAA basketball scoring record for men's and or women's before the season's end. Now, here's what's interesting to me. Now, I know, as a Nebraska guy, as an alum, Okay, as a guy who played there, as a guy who talks Nebraska football, Big Ten football, college football, NFL football, I'm supposed to hate everything Iowa, right? I'm just, it's supposed to all, I'm supposed to vomit, regurgitate it. I just should have nothing to want to do with anything Iowa, right? Well, most of the time I do, but let's, I, let's keep this in mind. I try to be objective as much as I possibly can be, all right? And when I keep that in mind, I got a lot of respect for Caitlin Clark and what she can do and her game. She's not just a scorer. She's a passer. She does a lot of things really, really well. She's also insanely polarizing. Now, when you're really, really good at something, that sometimes just comes along with the territory, okay? But she seems to be more polarizing than most people, and not a lot of people as good as she is at whatever it is that they're doing, but most people aren't as polarizing as her. So I've tried to figure out why, and I have a couple of theories. Now, some people think she's cocky. Now, I remember the Iowa-LSU championship game and going back and forth and all of that, and I think that struck some people the wrong way struck a nerve maybe some people have just kind of held on to that in their memory banks for a lot of people that was their introduction to Caitlin Clark hey first impressions matter and sometimes that just sticks with people and I'm not even going to argue whether that was Caitlin's fault whether it wasn't which side it was on at the time because that's in the past but I do think that first impression because that was a lot of people's first impression of Caitlin Clark has stuck with people okay whether you liked or didn't like what happened at the time so I think some people feel like she's cocky okay 
I don't really hear talk a lot of trash or say a lot of things. You know, you got the hand gestures that are always happening in, in the basketball games that are always overanalyzed to the nth degree. I, you know, I'm not supposed to talk politics or religion or things of that nature. I do know she's Catholic. And sometimes in a world where it's all about inclusiveness and things of that nature, sometimes if you are strong in your religion, that can become a negative thing to, in some people's eyes. So I wonder if that's held against her by some folks. Maybe it's a plus in other folks' minds. I'm throwing out theories here, okay? So I can't help but wonder about some of these things. So I'm going to give you one thing that I found. Okay, full disclosure, my wife found it. She sent it to me. So credit to my wife, Angie Carricker. All right. She played, growing up, youth basketball. Caitlin Clark actually played on a boys team growing up. Okay. Now, this team went on to win championships. And here's what happened. You want to know how people responded? Parents complained that she shouldn't be playing with the boys because she was too good. Pause for freaking effect. Are you kidding me? Pause for effect. She shouldn't be playing with the boys. Basically, she was beating up the boys. Like, what in the blue hell are we talking about? Okay. And this isn't where she was identifying as a girl and playing as a girl or identifying as a boy and playing as a boy. None of that. She was a girl on a boys team. That won championships, and she was pretty much the best player on that team, and parents complained. People are going to find a way to complain if you're winning. You're going to become polarizing if you're winning. Okay, talk about being a Nebraska guy. You go back to the 90s. You want to talk about one of the most polarizing runs in college football history when it comes to how general college football fans look at the, the 90s Nebraska championship teams. Okay, you've got all these things that took place and all this speculation and yada, yada, yada. If you win, you're going to get people's attention. And if you get people's attention, there's going to be divisiveness, no matter what you do. Okay, so for me, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm a Caitlin, Caitlin Clark expert. And I absolutely root against Iowa and all things. But I do try to be objective when I'm on my, on my show because that's my attempt to try to be a professional, at least a smidge. I got a lot of respect for her game. It's a well-rounded game. And uh, when she goes to the WNBA, she's going to be someone who could potentially take a team to the next level. I am interested in how some of the other players and her teammates react. Is there going to be jealousy? Is Are they going to accept her as a teammate? How's that locker room atmosphere going to be to whatever team she goes to? And what can she potentially do to try to make it more positive? Be humble. Be quiet as a rookie. Rookies are seen and not heard. Okay? And that those are the types of things she can do. But at the end of the day, she can only control so much. I've just kind of been intrigued by this Caitlin Clark, you know, the past – few months to a year since the championship game this Caitlin Clark whole scenario this kind of played out from how good she is to the record she set to she might set in the future to just kind of the polarization of her I find her to be very very intriguing I'm the man I'm a man who has six kids five daughters oh by the way I have Trinity okay her girls basketball team speaking of girls kicking boys butts so they're a fifth and sixth grade team they're pretty good my, my wife Angie's the coach shout out to her again they, they never play girls their own age. They always play up. They always play seventh graders, okay? Sometimes it goes well. Sometimes it doesn't. Those seventh graders, they're starting to hit puberty. Sometimes they're just bigger, faster, taller, and it just straight up ain't fair. But when they play girls' teams their own age, it tends to be lopsided, and, you know, you're looking for competition. So that's why they play up. I said, Ange, why don't you just go play boys? Go play fifth, sixth-grade boys or even fourth, fifth-grade boys because they're going to be about your size. You don't have to worry about our daughter, who's not the biggest in the world, getting ran over by a girl who's already looking like a woman. Okay, and our daughter has not hit puberty yet. She's in the fifth grade, not a sixth grader on this team. And maybe she'll be a little bit safer, but these boys will be faster, okay, than most teams they play. This is just what I've seen. 
and it'll be good competition. So that's what they did. They went into a boys tournament. First thing the opposing boys coach, coach looked at my wife, uh, did and said was, you're on the wrong court. Girls are over there. Like he had no idea they were playing them. By the way, how unprepared is that coach? Okay. And my wife's like, no, this is our court. And then they went out and they won the tournament championship in the boys tournament. And then, so that was a Saturday. Then one of the opposing boys teams was playing again on Sunday, just a couple of league games, but they were going to be short players. They only had five players, no subs. So they asked my daughter and her best friend to be subs on that team. And they went and played with the boys the next day because they earned their respect by kicking the crap out of them. They've been a basketball since, you know what I'm saying? And they had a blast. They had a blast. I just, when I heard that about Caitlin Clark playing with boys and then having success against boys and parents complaining, the most asinine thing I've ever heard, like grow up, get a life and stop living vicariously through your children, please. Okay. It made me think of my own kids. And if my, my wife's team or my, my daughter's team or my boy's team that I coached for years went out and got their butts kicked, that's fine. Okay. Obviously I want them to do good. Okay, it's not about wins and losses. It's about, it just, it resonated with me because it made me think of my own kids. And I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting because Caitlin's, she's older. It's a little bit different. You know, adults sometimes look at kids' sports differently. So my daughter and her friend, Maddie, were accepted, whereas Caitlin's more polarizing. Anyways, I digress. Let's chat a little bit of way too early. Big 10 football power rankings. Now I got my top 10. Now here, here's some teams that are nowhere near making this list. Indiana, Purdue, Illinois. Holy crap, you're not even close to the top 10. So here are the honorable mentions. All right, honorable mention number one. I got UCLA. Now, they got a new head coach, Deshaun Foster. They got a new head coach who's never been a head coach, never been a coordinator. So Adam, how can they be honorable mention? Well, there's only 18 teams. And if you're not in the top 10, you're not even in the top 50% of the conference. So let's just start with that. But there's actually a lot of talent on that roster. There actually really is. Now, Chip Kelly's a good coach, but he was checked out. The moment that bowl game ended against Boise State, he was looking to get out. So you think he was really that vested while he was there? Now, I'm not saying UCLA is going to set the world on fire. I don't even have him in the top 50% of the Big Ten. I'm just saying there's talent there. Deshaun Foster is going to learn on the job. He is. There's going to be some valuable lessons learned. But my guess is he's going to motivate a team like they haven't been motivated in a while. He's going to galvanize some boosters and a fan base like they haven't been galvanized in a while. And that's going to be probably an improvement while he learns some major lessons on the job because he's never done anything like this before. He's only been a running backs coach. So I'm rooting for him. I just know they got some talent on that roster. And while the head coach learns and the coaching staff learns, I think they can win a few games along the way. But that being said, they're only, <laughs> they're only honorable mention. All right. I'm going to head into my top 10 here. I'm going to start at number 10, Northwestern. This was a team that won one game two years ago with Pat Fitzgerald. Then everything went, went down the way it did before the football season last year. Pat Fitzgerald is gone, and everyone's like, oh, my Lord. They may not win a game this year. They went out and went bowling, and they had a really good season. And I don't know how they did it, except they got a really good coach, and they decided to make him their full-time head coach. This is a Northwestern team that doesn't have the talent of a UCLA. But they have a program, a culture, a locker room, and clearly a head coach that everything else gives them the advantage over UCLA at the moment. Anyways, I would love to watch Northwestern and UCLA play this year because the contrasting styles, the contrasting just everything about. But I got Northwestern ahead of UCLA, at least at the moment, just a smidge. Number nine, you got Rutgers. You got Greg Schiano doing his thing up in Piscataway, New Jersey again. This is a guy 
who had Rutgers about 15 years ago or so, maybe a little bit longer, 16, 17 years, all the way up to number two in the country back when the Big East still played football and the Big East still existed and people knew what I was talking about when I was talking college football in the Big East. Conference no longer. At least they still play basketball. But Greg Schiano built Rutgers up once. Chopping wood, right? That's his big thing. Then he goes to the Giants. The NFL doesn't go so great. Eventually makes his way, meanders on back down or on up to Piscataway, Wisconsin, uh, New Jersey. And he's got Rutgers, not up to number two in the country, but he's got a program that I sat here before this season last year and said they got one of the worst rosters in the Big Ten, a team that went bowling and looked awfully good last year. Played Ohio State way closer than anybody, including myself, thought that they should have played them. Okay. So this is a team I've got preseason power rankings for the Big Ten Conference number nine going into the season. Way too early power conference rankings. Now the next one, I have Nebraska at number eight. Now this is, there's a couple of wild cards. Oh, there's there's one uh, honorable mention I've forgotten. That's Washington, the Washington Huskies. Now, I, I, I Googled some things online and most people had them in their preseason top 10. And I'm just like, yeah, they played for the national title. And yes, they were the second best team in the country last year. And they smoked Texas in the first college football playoff game. And they went undefeated in probably what was the conference, toughest conference in America last year, conference that no longer exists. I guess the Pac-2. I don't know. Who cares? The fact of the matter is this. Washington lost 15 starters to other Power 5 conference teams. They lost their head coach. They lost several things. They had a quarterback transfer in and transfer out. They've only got two returning starters. This is a team... I kind of don't know what to make of, but I think they could have a rough intro year into the Big Ten. But I got them in the honorable mention conversation simply because of what they did last year. Okay, now that I'm jumping all over the place, we're going to go back to number eight, and that's Nebraska. This is another team that's a bit of a wild card. I mean, when you compare what Nebraska did last year to Washington, it's not even close. But when you look at what Nebraska has returning versus Washington, including a head coach, including upgrades on the coaching staff, including a lot of players coming back, you could argue you know, 10 different players who started a lot of games last year on defense. Tony White coming back. He's probably going to be a head coach in the near future, which makes me happy for him. Sad for whenever he does leave. But we're going to join him in the meantime, defensive coordinator at Nebraska. Okay. You look at, they bring in Dylan Riola, one of the top recruits Nebraska's ever brought in, probably the top ranked recruit, at least since Marlon Lucky. Okay, running back who came in in the early to mid-2000s. True freshman. Heinrich Harburg coming back, won five games last year, another quarterback. You got Daniel Kalen, another true freshman. The offensive line should be much better. They brought in two potential starters, okay, at wide receiver. Okay, a couple of transfers. They got a plethora of running backs. The defense is going to be solid. Special teams has finally been solid for a couple of years. The real question is that quarterback position. It's either going to be a true freshman, Dylan, Daniel, or an individual who I love a lot, a Swiss Army knife, but has been talked about playing other positions in Heinrich Harburg at quarterback. The biggest question is quarterback and how does this team come together throughout the offseason? So this is a team that I think has way higher upside this year than, than Washington after everything Washington just went through in the offseason, even though Washington had a way better season last year. So this is where it's kind of like, you're kind of trying to figure out where the odds are of which team's going to have a better season when it comes to Washington or Nebraska or Rutgers or Northwestern so far. But this is where I got them. Number nine, Northwestern. I'm sorry, number 10, Northwestern. Number nine, Rutgers. And number eight, Nebraska at the moment because of what they've got coming back. Okay, they have the highest percentage of returning production of any team in the entire Big Ten. That includes 
Ohio State. That includes Michigan, who's had a bunch of players leave. But that includes all the top teams, including Penn State. All right. Let's move on. Number seven, we got Wisconsin. Now, their top transfer portal addition is a quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke. Now, Wisconsin's had themselves a quality offseason, including nabbing quarterback Tyler Van Dyke from Miami. Okay, the Badgers showed some flashes under Luke Fickle in his first year and could be a bit under the radar going into this fall. They got stronger and stronger as the year went along last year. They also got healthier and healthier. They, healthier. they were pretty beat up at one point. So at number seven, I got Wisconsin at this point in time. And number six, it's Iowa. Okay, I never know what to make of Iowa year in and year out. They play great defense. They create, play great special teams. They don't know what a forward pass is. And unless they score a safety, how are they going to score points on offense? Well, they fired their offensive coordinator. Best of luck to Brian Ferentz in the future. I know I've referred to him as baby Ferentz in the past. You know, when a guy gets let go of his job, I kind of drop that title and he gets his first name back. Just, hey, he's trying to put food on the table for his family too. So this Iowa team, okay, honestly, who knows how different this offense will look next fall, but the talent on that side of the ball still lacks behind most of the Big Ten. That's the big concern. But the Hawkeyes' defense, however, will likely once again be one of the best in the country. Special teams will be one of the best in the country. They're an extremely disciplined team who doesn't beat themselves. They don't commit penalties. They don't turn the ball over. Kirk Ferentz has been doing it a long, long time. Okay. This is a guy who's a really good head coach. If you're not an Iowa fan, you're going to say, hey, the trophy case is empty. If you are an Iowa fan, you're going to point to the fact that you win anywhere from eight to 10 games year in and year out. And every once in a while, you compete for a Big Ten title, although there's no longer East and West divisions, so that will be much, much, much tougher for Iowa going forward in the future. But for right now, I got them in the preseason way too early Big Ten power rankings for college football 2024 season at number six in the Big Ten conference. All right. Now, this next team, let's be real. They're a complete and utter freaking wild card. The USC Trojans. This is, uh, all right. They have come out and said, they're going to kind of redo everything. They're going into year three. All right, under the new, under, not new anymore, but he's treating it like he's the new head coach. Year three under their head coach. But he's basically said, we're going to scrap everything and do it completely different. Here's the deal. In that Texas game, they have a gr probably the best defensive tackle duo in the entire country last year. One of the best D-lines, okay? A D-line that terrorized Alabama, okay, on the road when they when they beat Bama at in Bama's house early in the season. Didn't hardly phase Michael Penix. He got rid of the ball quick. He got it out fast. Now his receivers were open, and he had three NFL receivers on that roster, but he had to make the reads. He had to make the throws. He had to do it quickly, and he had to do it now. He had to do it with arm strength and accuracy, and he did it. And the few times Texas did come free, he'd go to his check down, boom, just like that. Now, the hesitation is the injuries, like I mentioned earlier. He did not look good against Michigan. Do one thing for me. Name one quarterback that looked good against Michigan last year. Now, he would have helped himself, and he got the crap beat out of him in that Michigan game. He walked off that field a very different man than he did walking off the field versus Texas, and it wasn't just about the scoreboard. Michigan was legit. Legit on defense. Legit pass rush. Just legit. Now, he would have helped himself a lot had he just looked like an average quarterback in that Michigan game because it's hard to figure out. Was he just not that good? Was Michigan just really that good? Was it a combination of both? Because he soared up drafts, draft boards after the Texas game. And then I know he leveled way off, so to speak, after the Michigan game. The people who had him soaring after the Texas game had not watched 
him at all this year. I was not surprised at all. I was surprised Texas didn't get to him more, but I wasn't surprised when he had time that he got rid of the ball as well as he did. Against Michigan, I knew it would be a lot tougher. I was hoping he'd have more success. I thought he would have more success. He obviously did not, not consistently anyways. But this is a guy who could easily go first round. I could see him potentially dropping just with some of the concerns. But I do see him going late in the first round, probably. All right, last, number 10, Big Ten player on the early going into the NFL draft board per Adam Carriker's Bo Nix. This is a guy, when you talk about efficiency, I mean, if you want a guy who can come in and probably be ready to start day one as, as much as anybody, I mean, he set the career record for starts in the FBS was 61. I think he played 92 seasons of college football. I remember watching his first game he ever started at Auburn. I don't think my son Jacob, who's 14 now, was born yet. I do. I remember watching. It was at my in-law's house. <laughs> it was in the basement. That was a heck of a game. It was one of those early um, neutral site games. I forget who they were playing. It's not the one where they got killed by Georgia. <laughs> that, that, I, that was a different game. But this is a guy with a lot of experience, very efficient. He also set the FBS record for completion percentage. He broke Mac Jones's record, the former Alabama quarterback. Bonix did by completing 77.45% of his, 45% of his passes this year. This is a guy with experience. This is a guy, and I'm not saying he's not talented. I mean, are you kidding me? He's talented. I just don't think his ceiling is as high as a Michael Penix. I also think his floor isn't anywhere near as low as a Michael Penix or a J.J. McCarthy. Okay, those are the two quarterbacks in the draft that I think have a really high ceiling, J.J. and Michael, and also have the lowest floor potentially because there's the biggest question marks about them. You could say that about Caleb Williams as well. You could say about any quarterback. There's no guarantee you know, when it comes to drafting players. That's just part of the draft process, and that's why some teams are really bad year after year because they're really bad at it. And there's the same teams that tend to draft lower tend to always draft lower because they tend to evaluate prospects better and they tend to win more games, so they're always drafting lower. And the teams that always draft high tend to usually keep drafting high because they're not very good at evaluating prospects. How do you always have a top pick, one of the top picks, and yet you don't get better? That blows my mind. I kind of just explained it. My point is simply this. Bo Nix is a guy, like, if I'm the Niners, he might be a guy that I'm eyeing. And, I, and nothing against Purdy, all right, um, Brock Purdy. This is a dude that's a really good quarterback. But, and he played well in the Super Bowl. He answered a lot of questions in the Super Bowl. But to me, the Niners have, along with the Eagles, the two best rosters in all of football. And remember, the Eagles were 10 and 1 after their first 11 games this year. Then they fell off a cliff. 10 and 1. And then they won one game the rest of the year and got embarrassed on the road by a pretty good Tampa Bay Bucks team in the playoffs, but not great. Okay, Tampa went up to Detroit and fought the Lions really hard. So I got respect for that. But, the Eagles and the Niners have the two best rosters. And the only question mark I have about the Niners is their quarterback position. And maybe Purdy is the long-term answer. Again, he answered a lot of questions in that Super Bowl. They did not lose that game because of him. Their first two drives, he looked great. Not good, great. Before Spagnola, the, the Chiefs defensive coordinator, made some adjustments. It's not his fault McCaffrey fumbled on that first drive. They were going in to score. It's not his fault they had 14 million penalties on the second drive, which stalled the drive. The 49ers easily could have had a 10 or 14-point lead right out the gate, and they didn't, and it wasn't his fault. That being said, he's still the biggest question mark on that team. And I see a Bo Nix potentially be, being a guy that could come in and compete and let the best man win. And I'm not a Niners fan. That's just a team that pops into my head. They're a team that's going to be drafting late, obviously, in the first round. Bo Nix could be a late first-round pick, maybe take it higher, mid-first round, who knows? Could be a good fit. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been one of the longer Big Ten shows I've done in a while. I guess when I don't have a co-host, I just talk more. <laughs> like I said, I don't have a real job. I get to talk sports. All right, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, have a phenomenal day. And it's been the Big Ten Show with Adam Carriker. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.